two sermons preached on occasion of the death of a friend by Thomas Halliburton. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Sermon 1 continued. Second, we are to show how it furthers sanctification. This is one of the fruits of this faith that looks at things unseen, that while under troubles believers thus look at things unseen, they obtain a growth of their inward man proportionable unto that decay of their outward man which their troubles do occasion. Now, this increase of sanctification by the exercise of faith upon things unseen is many ways promoted. 1. Exercise of faith upon things that are not seen and are eternal renders sin exceeding sinful by giving clear discoveries thereof. Now we know there is a great progress made toward the destruction of anyone if we once have brought our hearts the length of a vehement hatred against sin. So when sin becomes very hateful unto us, a great progress is made towards its mortification. One view by the eye of faith made Job exceedingly vile in his own eyes. I have heard of thee, says he, by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes have seen thee. Wherefore I abhor and loathe myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Job 13, 5 and 6. Well then, does Job abhor and loathe himself? then certainly one remarkable advance he has made toward the destruction of proud self. If one view of an invisible God made him loathe and abhor himself, surely frequent views would improve his hatred into a downright rage, issuing in the entire destruction of whatever durst oppose the Lord. 2. Faith's views of things not seen and eternal help the soul that believes unto clear discoveries of the vanity and unsatisfactoriness of the pleasures of sin. Thus, Moses's faith discovering the vanity of those pleasures made him choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews 11.25 And certainly, when a soul is brought under clear and convincing impressions of the vanity of that pleasure which sin promises, and so is no more to be gulled or cheated by that pretense, sin has then received a mortal wound and has its locks cut, which were the principal feat of its strength. 3. The exercise of faith upon things that are not seen and are eternal fills the soul with thoughts about spiritual things. Now hereby satisfaction is furthered in both its parts, for spiritual life is strengthened and the habits of grace receive an increase of force by the exercise of grace, it being undoubtedly certain that exercise or the multiplication of acts does strengthen habits, mortification is also advanced, while by the vigorous acting of this grace the soul is filled with a multitude of spiritual thoughts 
whereby there is no room, as it were, left for the actings of sin. And thus, while the habits of grace are strengthened by acting, the habits of sin are weakened by not acting. And it is certain that this exercise of faith promotes spiritual mindedness, so it is no less certain that spiritual mindedness strengthens spiritual life. Romans 8 verse 6. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. 4. The exercise of faith upon things not seen, and particularly upon the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the gospel discovery of him, has a mighty force to transform the soul of the beholder into his image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. And indeed, the glory of the Lord thus seen has in it a manifold efficacy towards the soul's transformation into that blessed image. It has in it the force of a command, of an example, of an argument, nay, of many arguments. Further, it has a meritorious influence, the influence of an ordinance, nay, and of a special ordinance of God's appointment for this very end. But these things we only name, our present design not allowing us to enlarge any further upon this head. Third, it now remains that we show briefly how the exercise of faith upon things not seen increases our glory, or works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, it furthers our glory in as far as, 1. It gives a right unto far more glory than otherwise we could claim, not by meriting more glory, but by interesting us in a twofold promise, in which the Lord of his infinite grace has been pleased to secure his own people upon certain conditions. Firstly, it gives them an interest in that promise, Matthew twenty-five twenty-nine, unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. I know that this promise is commonly restricted unto sanctification, as if the intendment were no more but a promise of more grace to such as do improve what they have received. This we willingly grant to be the principle, yet not the only intendment of the promise. For we think that anyone who with attention reads that parable of the talents to which this promise is subjoined will easily discern that this also must be understood as a promise of glory granted in proportion to our improvement of grace or growth in sanctification, which, as we have just now shown, is signally furthered by this exercise of faith we now speak of, and consequently this exercise of faith gives us an interest in that increase of glory, which is promised unto an increase of sanctification. Secondly, the exercise of faith upon things not seen makes us contentedly forego much for Christ, as we find it made Moses do, Hebrews 11.24. And hereby we come to be interested in that promise, Matthew 19.29, whereby an hundredfold is secured even in this life, and if in this life, much more in that which is to come, to such as do quit anything for Christ. 
Now, the lively exercise of faith makes us quit all for Christ contentedly, and therefore by the tenor of this promise doth undoubtedly interest us in a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2. Faith increases our glory by increasing our capacity. The exercise of faith upon things not seen and eternal widens the soul, as it were, and hereby entitles us unto an increase of glory, for every one shall have what they can hold. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Psalm 17, verse 15. 3. It heightens their glory by all that additional excellency and sweetness which it will receive from the consideration of past trouble. For no doubt glory will be double glory to a people come out of great tribulation. To the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet, and consequently every sweet is doubly sweet. Finally, I might add that this exercise of faith hastens glory while it ripens us for glory, and even in this respect it may be justly said to work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The Use We come now to make some improvement of this truth, and herein we shall have a principal regard unto believers— But the far greater part of the hearers of the gospel being unquestionably unbelievers, therefore we shall begin with a short address to them. To you then, O unbelievers, we have a few things to say, which this subject leads us unto, and we beseech you listen unto them as truths, though sad, yet undoubtedly certain, and of high importance unto your souls. First, Know of a certainty, you have no security against trouble. Trouble you may fall into, for man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, Job 5.7. And that trouble may be such as may sink you into anguish and deep despair. This alone is terrible, but it is not the worst of your case. For, second, when trouble comes, you have no relief, you have nothing to look at but things that are seen, and they are miserable comforters. For, first, all of them taken together are not able to balance a very small trouble. A king upon a throne possessed of all the delights of the sons of men, if seized with but the toothache, will find all his enjoyments not able to balance this small trouble. Nay, secondly, The more ye have of these enjoyments, the more heavy and perplexing will your trouble in some respect be. For the greater the good is, or is apprehended to be, which we are deprived of, or detained from the enjoyment of, the greater will that evil appear to be which stands in the way of our enjoyment of that good. Thirdly, these enjoyments, if ye look to them, will only buoy you up with hopes of relief, till ye are brought unto an extremity, and then they will double your trouble by a sad disappointment. Isaiah 20, verses 5 and 6. Fourthly, they can yield you no relief or solid satisfaction, because they are liable to perpetual changes, and consequently the only satisfaction resulting from them must be as changeable as they. Fifthly, these things give no real communication of strength. Any support they give is by way of argument, 
And how weak is this to a soul groaning under a heavy and unwielded load of affliction? Third, we say, as things seen will minister no comfort unto you, so things unseen may be justly terrible unto you, because, as ye have just ground to expect vengeance from the unseen God, so whatever stroke he designs you must of necessity be very terrible. Because, first, it will be a surprise as not being seen a coming. When his hand is lifted up, ye will not, ye cannot see what is not to be seen but by the eye of faith. Second, as the consequent of the former, there will be no access to provide against it because not seen. Thirdly, a stroke from this unseen hand may be nearer you than you are aware. Fourth, when things unseen are terrible unto you, consider that ye have no relief to look for from things either of the one sort or other. Things seen cannot relieve you, as you have heard, and things unseen are your terror. Oh, that therefore you are wise to understand your own interest, so far as to make choice of those things that are not seen and are eternal for your portion, and then you may have a blessed relief under any troubles that may befall you. And with this we leave you and proceed to the second sort of persons whom we principally design. We are now in the second place to speak unto believers, and to you who are such, we have, first, some things to offer for your information from the truth formerly opened. Is it so that the exercise of faith upon things that are not seen and are eternal gives the people of God a blessed relief under all troubles? Then learn hence, firstly, the remarkable goodness of God who, though he sees meet to exercise his people with troubles, yet does not leave them comfortless under trouble, but while in the world they have tribulation, provides peace for them in himself. John 16.33 Secondly, hence you may learn that the true reason why believers are dejected sometimes under their troubles is because they turn their eyes off from things that are not seen and pour upon their trouble, whereby it is increased, as the church found to her sad experience. Lamentations 3, 19 and 20. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Thirdly, hence also you may learn the true way to bear all affliction easily, the same which we have been speaking of, even by the lively exercise of faith on things that are not seen and eternal. This Moses had experience of, Hebrews 11.24. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Cast thou thy burden on the Lord, and he will sustain thee. Now for exhortation. The only remaining use I design of this point is exhortation. Is it so, then, that faith is thus relieving to believers under trials? Oh, then we beseech you, get faith, exercise faith, Look unto the things that are not seen, 
Now that I may set home this exhortation, let me use with you a few motives or arguments inducing to a compliance with this duty. And, first, exercise faith upon things not seen, for hereby you shall have the advantage of all the great and precious promises of the word, which are fraught with grace and glory and every good thing. Faith gives the use of them all, for when the word is mixed with faith, then it turns profitable unto those who hear it. Hebrews 4 verse 2. The word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Faith is like to that juice, or whatever else it is in the stomach, that digests the food, dissolving it and turning those parts of it which are suitable unto our bodies into nourishment for them, sending such and such parts to the respective parts of the body to which they are suited, with which they do incorporate and turn of a piece, thereby adding strength unto the part thus increased. In like manner, faith digests the promise, which is the soul's food, 1 Peter 2.3. For it is by the milk of the word that believers live. Faith mixes itself with the promise in a way full as mysterious as that wherein that natural ferment of the stomach mixes itself with the food. And, in like manner, it, as it were, resolves the promise into its parts and turns such parts of it as are suited unto the soul's need into solid and useful nourishment, which incorporates with the soul, if I may so speak, whereby the soul finds a sensible increase of strength, though it can be as little account for the way of its conveyance as for that of the conveyance of strength to the body from the stomach's digestion of meat. And indeed, it is but little of this that can be understood by any, far less by me, and that little which may be understood is better felt than spoken. But whatever there be as to the manner of the thing, its truth and reality is attested by a cloud of witnesses, and cannot be called in question, and therefore should be a strong inducement to you to get and vigorously to act that faith, which undoubtedly will put you in the possession of this glorious privilege. Second, by any means get faith, exercise faith, for it will sweeten the bitterest cup you can have put in your hand by giving you a taste of the sweetness and goodness of things that are not seen and are eternal. For, says the apostle, it is the substance of things hoped for. The things you know that are hoped for are good, and faith gives them a sort of subsistence or being, as the word signifies, in the soul, and puts the soul in the enjoyment of that which sometimes is so sweet as not only to make the soul forget its sorrow, but even to cast it into a transport of joy. This was that which made the apostle not only joyful, but exceeding joyful in all his tribulations, and even filled with comfort. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4. A large account of its power this way we have given us by the same apostle in the fifth of the Romans from the beginning. It fetches the clusters from Eshcol and Canaan to believers in their wilderness lot, and breaks the grapes, as it were, in the believer's mouth whereby the bitter taste of his afflictions is put away. When this strong drink is given unto those who are ready to perish, this wine to those that be of heavy hearts, 
They do indeed drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. Third, O afflicted believers, exercise faith vigorously, for not only will it give you a taste of the sweetness, but also a glorious experience of the power of things that are not seen. It will make you know what is the exceeding greatness of his power, yea, and what the working of his mighty power is toward those who do believe. Ephesians 1.19 This Moses felt, while it made him endure or bear his afflictions with a strong and courageous mind, as the word imports. Hebrews 11.27 By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, that is, he endured strongly, as seeing him who is invisible. This also you shall experience. It will make you strong to bear up under your troubles. Yea, your need so requiring, it will strengthen you with all the power of his might, whose name is God Almighty. Fourth, get, oh, get and exercise faith. What benefit shall we have thereby, will ye say? I answer, you shall thereby have an earnest and pledge of the full enjoyment of all those great things which it discovers. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It not only is the evidence and demonstration that they are, but also that they are ours, and moreover putting us in possession of a part, as we have heard, it thereby gives us a pledge of the enjoyment of the whole. Thus by faith you shall have a double security, that of an evidence or charter. For faith, as said, gives the advantage of all the promises, which are indeed the saint's charter. And that of an earnest or pledge, faith giving us the enjoyment in some sort of things that are not seen. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. Fifth, among other advantages innumerable, this is none of the least, which you shall have by faith, which is the evidence of things not seen. Thereby you shall have not only a discovery of the reality, but a ravishing representation of their glory and beauty. The eyes of your understanding being hereby enlightened, you will know what the riches of the glory of the saints' inheritance is. It will, as it were, take you to Mount Pisgah, and thence give you a view of the Canaan that is above." that land flowing with milk and honey, that land of which it is evidently true that the inhabitants thereof do not say they are sick, and the people that dwell therein are forgiven their iniquity. The glory whereof, seen by the eye of faith, made Abraham travel through the land of promise, that was indeed the glory of all lands, and in which he had a special interest as a strange land, making no great account of it, because he looked for a better country, even this heavenly one, which his faith had discovered unto him as the apostle discourses at large. Hebrews 11. Sixth, faith not only is the evidence or demonstration of things not seen and of our interest in them, but it is a demonstration attended with this glorious advantage that it solves all difficulties or objections that can be started against the reality usefulness and glory of things that are not seen. The word rendered evidence is in the first language, elegkos, 
which imports not only a demonstration of the truth, but such a demonstration as gives a reproof to all contrary objections. Now, faith, and faith only, is capable of resolving or reproving all objections against things not seen and eternal. Reason's persuasions of things not seen, either as to their nature or reality, are easily shaken by the power of temptation, as the sad experience of the Lord's people abundantly clears. And the reason of this is, any certainty we have by reason leans upon the strength of arguments, framed by the weak mind of man, which is liable to manifold mistakes in its most seemingly firm and strong reasonings, to which also Satan and our deceitful hearts oppose subtle arguments, which seem to be of equal weight with those whereby the mind is persuaded of the being and reality of things not seen. And whatever can be alleged for those reasons which persuade us of things not seen, and against the contrary objections, temptation urgeth, that the like may be said for those objections which it urgeth, and against those arguments whereon the soul's persuasion leans. Are those arguments seemingly clear? Are they such as you do not see what can be answered unto them? Are the several propositions plain in appearance? Is the connection clear? The temptation will answer that the like may be said for its objections against things that are eternal, and indeed so subtle many times are those objections that little can be said against this. Again, it is alleged that these objections are framed by the darkened mind of man that is easily deceived, and that there may be some deceits in them, though the soul cannot see them at present. The like, still may the temptations say, can with equal reason be alleged against those arguments which are the ground of our persuasion about things spiritual and not seen. Thus the soul leaning only upon its own rationalizations about those glorious truths of God is easily entangled, perplexed, and even put to despair. And despair it would if faith came not in for its relief. But when faith comes, it silences all objections. For all the objections I know against things spiritual, not seen and eternal, are reducible into four heads— or do arise from four grounds, which I shall mention and show how faith solves them all. Firstly, many objections are framed against the truth of things not seen and eternal, and those objections do arise either from an alleged want of evidence for them, or the strength of reasonings against them, or both. But faith reproves, solves and silences all objections of this sort arising from this ground by fixing upon the faithful word of God, who cannot lie, deceive, or be deceived, which is undoubtedly the greatest evidence. And what we take upon this evidence will not be called in question, nor reasonably can it upon the strongest reasonings framed by any creature which is both capable of deceiving and being deceived. If any object that the soul may be attacked by temptation as to the divine original of that word, whereon it builds its faith and may be put to question whether it be the word of God whereon it builds its assent, I answer, this is indeed the only thing that can be objected. But yet, it is of no weight, because when God speaks to the souls of his people, he can and doth speak in such a way as to let the soul know, and know most certainly, that it is the Lord who speaketh, that it is the voice of God, and not of man or devils, 
And the enemies of divine faith are enemies, and injurious not only unto the saints, who from their firm experience do attest the truth of this, and to the scriptures, or the Lord speaking in the scriptures, who assures us that his sheep know his voice, and will not hear or listen unto the voice of a stranger. John 10, 4 and 5. But also they are injurious even to reason, which cares not to tell any considerate man that it is blasphemy to say that God cannot discover his mind and speak so to a rational creature as to make it distinguish his voice from the voice of any creature, while one man may speak so to another, even while he does not see him, as to make the person to whom he speaks not only sure that it is his voice, but even to make it impossible for him to doubt it. Secondly, another set of objections against things spiritual are taken from the incomprehensibleness of their nature and the difficulty of conceiving or entertaining clear apprehensions of them. These objections faith silences by fixing the soul's eye upon the Lord, his incomprehensible nature and actings, which it will by no means allow us to measure by our infinite and weak capacities, which are scarce capable of forming any distinct apprehensions of the most plain and obvious works of providence, far less of those deep things of God. Thus, it leads the believer with the great apostle, Romans 11.23, to admire what cannot be understood, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out! Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? This, when spoken to the soul by the Lord and received by faith, will quiet the soul and scatter all mists which temptation may raise from this earth. Thirdly, another set of objections against things not seen and eternal have their rise from the difficulty of finding out means and the inconceivableness to us of any way how they may be brought about. Many a time can the believer tell us Nicodemus's question urged against things not seen, how can these things be? But faith easily silences all doubts of this sort by taking hold of that short but significant and powerful answer, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than yours. One view of the only wise God of whose understanding there is no searching out will easily put any temptation arising from this ground to the blush, and quiet the soul in the faith of the undoubted firmness of divine truth, notwithstanding of any difficulty in this sort. Fourthly, Another, and the last set of objections, have their rise from the difficulties and seeming impossibilities that are in the way of the accomplishment of what the Lord has promised. Now, difficulties of this sort faith easily solves by looking at the omnipotent arm of God, who is wise in heart and mighty in strength, with whom all things are possible. And to conclude this motive, the only difficulty is to win the length of believing. 
for faith will remove all other difficulties, though like mountains. Oh, admirable and significant, though short direction given by our Lord to Jairus in a great perplexity. Mark 5.36 Be not afraid, only believe. Follow this one direction, O believers, and you cannot think what a weight of trouble it will take off you and how glorious a victory it will give you over the assaults of temptations of this sort, which otherwise will be crushing. Seventh, look to the things that are not seen. For the exercise of faith this way will exceedingly lighten all your afflictions and thereby make you go easily under that, which otherwise would be a burden too heavy for you to bear. If you ask me what way does it lighten affliction, I answer many ways, of which I shall name a few. Firstly, whatever our affliction is, unbelief makes it double, by adding a great many false weights unto it, which I cannot stand to name. Such was that addition which Jairus's trouble met with when it told him his daughter was dead. Formerly his trouble was heavy, but now no doubt unbelief put the weight to it. The case is now hopeless. There is no cure for stark dead. Of the like sort also was that additional trouble which unbelief gave Martha, the sister of Lazarus, John 11.39, while it whispered her in the ear that she again objects to our Lord, that by this time her brother was not only dead but stinking. As much as she had said, truly the case is past a cure. Now, faith lightens trouble by taking off us all those false weights which make the one half of our trouble. Fear not, only believe. And said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Secondly, it fairly weighs and puts in the opposite balance all the mercy which is found in our lot, which for the most part will be found to outweigh our trouble. Thus the church found it, Lamentations 3. Unbelief made her put her afflictions in the one side without putting her mercy in the other, and then the weight of it was like to crush her. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall... My soul hath them still in remembrance, and is humbled. In the margin is bowed in me. And no doubt she had sunk if faith had not come to her relief, observed the mistake, and put her mercy in the opposite scale, which made her see her affliction was nothing so heavy as she apprehended, as we see verses 21 and 22. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hoped, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Thirdly, it sinks the weight of afflictions and makes them lighter by putting in the opposite scale the provision of strength and comfort which the Lord has given and doth give under them. The trouble is heavy, but the support is equal to it. The Lord suffers us not to be tempted above what we are able to bear, but with the temptation provides a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Fourthly, as the former takes almost the whole weight away by making, as it were, the two scales hang equal, so that which we are to add in the next place makes that scale, which is opposite to affliction, appear the weightier, while faith lays into it the great advantages which believers do reap by their afflictions. 
Faith assures them that afflictions are means to purge away sin and make us partakers of God's holiness. An experience confirms this truth while the soul is made to find, as it is in the context, verse 16, that as the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed. Fifthly, it puts a weight of glory into the scale. And oh, but then the heaviest afflictions appear light, when there is a far more exceeding weight of glory laid in the opposite scale. Sixthly, it puts in eternity in the balance with this glory against that time which is in the scale of affliction. And then as the weight of glory makes the soul think afflictions light, so the length of eternity makes the years of affliction dwindle into a moment. Thus the apostle reckons not only in the verse immediately preceding our text, but also Romans 8.18, for I reckon, says he, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Once more, in the seventh place, if yet the afflictions be too heavy, faith will rid thee altogether of it by casting thee and thy burden over on the Lord. Psalm 55.22 Cast thy burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Eighth, look unto things that are not seen, exercise faith. For this exercise of faith will make you like Mount Zion, that can at no time be removed. It will make you steady under all your afflictions. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. Psalm 125, verse 1. And this it will do, firstly, by fixing you upon a steady and unchangeable foundation, even that sure and tried foundation which God has laid in Zion, even Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Secondly, it will make you steady by keeping you from leaning to anything that is changeable or liable to be shaken, while it assures you that truly in vain is salvation looked for from the hills and multitude of mountains. Jeremiah 3.23. And where there is nothing expected, thence no shaking disappointment can arise. Thirdly, faith makes us draw all our comforts from a fountain that will never fail, while it makes us look only to the Lord, in whom truly there is salvation for Israel. Jeremiah 3.23. And who has not forsaken them that seek him? The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalm 9, verse 10. Once more, ninth. As there is nothing that will more allay our sorrow upon any loss we sustain in this world than the serious consideration of our death, that great and remarkable change we are all to undergo, so faith exercised on things not seen will fortify us against all the difficulties that do occur in death, and which are like to occasion any trouble to one seriously viewing the ghastly face of pale death, the king of terrors. There are only four things which I can conceive that may be terrible unto one seriously exercised about his own death. I shall name them, and show how the exercise of faith fortifies against them all. Firstly, 
May such a one think or say, what is beyond time? Heaven and glory and eternal joys are no doubt preferable to anything I have in time. But, ah, how do I fear lest all these things be but only imaginations? My misgiving mind suggests and ever and anon whispers me in the ear, what you now enjoy you are sure of, but you have but a peradventure for these things, and is not a bird in the hand worth two in the bush? Now, against this, the exercise of faith doth fortify the believer many ways. First, what we may doubt of while we take only a glance of it, we will be certified of when we look long and steadily at it. So, albeit we may doubt of things not seen while we have but glanced at them, yet we will be brought and put beyond doubt by a steady and believing observation. Two, as the exercise of faith and a steady observation will confirm us, so the frequent exercise of faith this way will confirm us. What we see but once we may doubt of, but what we see every day we can by no means doubt of. 3. Many acts of faith do strengthen the habit, and thus it is every day made easier and easier for us to believe while we daily exercise faith, and hence we may with the more ease also get a view of these at any time when our establishment requires it. 4. The more we look at them, the more we will grow in the knowledge of them, and the more we know of anything, the more security we have as to its being. 5. The more we exercise faith about them, the more experience we have of the reality and power, and the more we feel, the less we fear. We cannot doubt when what we have heard with our ears, we have also seen with our eyes and our hands have handled. From all which considerations, it is plain that as faith is the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1, so the steady and frequent exercise of faith is the way to make those things still the more satisfyingly clear unto our souls and to free us from all manner of doubt. Secondly, will such a soul exercised with thoughts of death say, I make no doubt of the truth of these things that are not seen? I believe they are and are really more glorious than those things that are seen, but ah, my fear is that I have no interest in them. Now, against this fear also will the exercise of faith fortify. For, 1. Faith, as you have heard, gives a taste of the goodness of those things which are not seen and eternal. And the more tastes ye get, the more fully will you be secure of your interest in them. For foretastes are not only a pledge that they are, but that they are yours. 2. The more you look at them the more like you will be to them, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And surely conformity to them is one of the best evidences of our interest in them. 3. Faith much exercised grows into that highest stature, the full assurance of faith, and that is what ye would be at. 4. The exercise of faith will lead you to fear the Lord as it did Noah, Hebrews 11.7, and so put you upon God's secrets. For 
The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalm 35.14, the substance whereof, I will be thy God, is the very thing thou wouldest be at. Thirdly, Ah, doth the soul say, I still feel a huge difficulty to part with the desirable things which I find so sweet and pleasant to me here, even though it be for things far better, and this makes death still a great difficulty to me. Now the exercise of faith will make this easy also. 1. By keeping us from overvaluing them, the only thing that makes it so hard to part with them. For faith will assure from the word that they are vanity and vexation of spirit. 2. Faith, by fixing thy soul while here upon things that are not seen, will make thee forget things seen, even while ye are here with them, and thus it will be easy to part with them. 3. It will assure us of a large upmaking for all our losses, and this will make them easy to be borne, when we shall know that for our loss we shall have double, and so shall be gainers by our losses. 4. The more we look at things that are not seen, the more will our desire after the enjoyment of them be wetted, as it were, and quickened. We will, with Paul, if we look much at Jesus, have a strong desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Philippians 1.23 And this will make parting with that which is far worse easy. 5. To add no more to this head, if any of these things thou now enjoyest, such as may be the society of the saints, who are the excellent of the earth, be absolutely needful for thee, faith will assure thee that thou shalt not want it. He will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from his people. Psalm 84, verse 11. Fourthly, one difficulty more remains. May the believing soul say, I fear to conflict with the terrors and pains of death. This, I confess, wants not its own difficulty, but faith will do wonders here. 1. It will give such a discovery of the recompense of reward as will make you, with the apostle, Acts 20, verse 24, not count your life dear, that you may finish your course with joy. 2. Faith will bring you unto those who, under the conduct of the great and glorious captain of salvation, have already been made more than conquerors over all their enemies, and particularly over this. By faith it is that we are brought to communion and acquaintance with the spirits of just men made perfect, many of whom encountered death in its blackest shapes, triumphing over it, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Hebrews 11.35 3. Faith will relieve in this case by giving sight of him who has overcome death and him that has the power of it, who must reign until he hath put all enemies under his feet. Now the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26. 4. Faith will show you for your relief death unstinged, have in it pain and no wrath, and this will put that song of triumph in your mouth. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-five. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 
The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 5. It will swallow up the thoughts of death and the thoughts of that glory that is to be revealed in you. Romans 8.18 I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 6. To add no more to this head, faith will make you with the psalmist, Psalm 31.5, commit your spirit into his hand, who has redeemed you and is the Lord God of truth. Resting, 1. On his skill and ability, who in respect of both is able to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.25 2. On his experience, who has already conducted many sons to glory, who now upon that account do celebrate his praises, who redeemed them by his blood, and has made them kings and priests unto God. Revelation 5.10 3. On his care and tenderness, who is undertaken, Isaiah 10.11, as to gather the lambs in his arm, so to carry them in his bosom. 4. On his faithfulness, as knowing in whom ye have believed, and that he is able to keep that which you have committed unto him against that day. 2 Timothy 1.12 This discourse I shall now conclude in two or three short words of direction. First, set apart some time daily to converse with, meditate on, and exercise faith about things that are not seen and are eternal. Second, let all unseen enjoyments lead you unto the unseen fountain whence they flow. Never rest upon anything you have without your seeing God in it. And then be sure you rest not upon the enjoyment, but upon that God who manifests himself by it. For the enjoyment will quickly be gone, but the fountain will remain. Third, let your occasional thoughts about things not seen and eternal be many. And this is the best way I know to make up that loss we sustain by the unsteadiness of our minds in meditation about these things. This audio recording was read by Michael Ives. I hope you found it enlightening and edifying. Visit westportexperiment.com for more audio resources, and where I write about parish missions, the care of souls, and all things reformed.